Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Rome Ulia. I don't know about you, but I've been um, thanking the Lord that we have such a conference just called prayer. And um, I'm also excited to be a part of it. And um, I have a word for us today. And it's found in the book of Daniel chapter 10. It's found in the book of Daniel chapter 10. So if you have your swords with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 10. And uh, before I get into it, I want to talk to you just a little bit about how powerful prayer is. The person that you see standing up here today would not be here today without prayer. And prayer has become for me, a weapon, a tool that I use whenever the enemy is up against me and my back is up against the wall. And I call upon God, I call upon God because I learned that from my mother. And I just want to praise the Lord for prayer for mothers. And um, I also learned something about prayer when I went to the Solomon Islands. And when I was in the Solomon Islands, we took over there about 1,500 worth of equipment. And so I was very careful with that equipment. And we were in an area called Kolumbangara, which means king of the waters. And it rains every day on that island. Now, when we had the evangelistic campaign, uh, it took place in the evening, so every time it rained in the morning, it was good news for us. Because it meant it wasn't gonna rain in the evening. But one day it didn't rain in the morning. So we knew it was gonna rain either in the afternoon or the evening. But we could already see the clouds at around three to four o'clock. So I said to uh, my brother who both of us went together, um, we sat around with the elders, and the lay pastor who was there, God bless these men, warriors. And we got together and I said to them, guys, we're gonna have to look for somewhere sheltered so that we can have this um, series preached because our equipment's gonna get wet. And they said, Rome, don't worry about it. We pray the rain away. It was just, it wasn't that they were saying they were gonna pray the rain away, it's that they actually believed it. They looked me stern in the face as if it was something that they've tangled with before. And for me, I'm like, my rational mind would not allow me to think that God could step out into those depths and do something like that. So I was like, you know, my, my prayers used to be like, Lord, if it rains today, let your will be done. Or sometimes, Lord, you know, and, 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 I, and I, you know what? I hate to think of myself as a coward. But that day I felt like a coward, you know, praying like, you know, Lord, if it rains, then it's your will. I heard these men who in a circle and they said, Father in heaven, we pray that you hold the rain away. And we are praying to the Father who held the sun in one place, who said to the sea to come this far, Lord, for your kingdom's sake, hold the rain away. They prayed with boldness. You know what I did? I turned to the brother that I went with and I said to him, bro, as soon as you see the rain, just grab my laptop. 
just, just grab my laptop because it's got everything on it. Let me tell you something, at 6.30 when we started that, when we started preaching, it was raining on that island except where we were preaching. And I was like looking at, you know, Sean who was with me, both of us were looking at each other and uh, everyone else was like, they're not surprised. And I realized I'm preaching in a place where they're not wrestling with rationalism. They're not wrestling with secularism. These people are wrestling with spiritual things. And then I remembered, I seen that look before. It's the prayers that my mother used to pray. That bold prayer. And my mother used to pray for my father. You know, today we kind of pray for our loved ones to come to church. So we, we take baby steps first. So when we pray, it's like, Lord, I just pray that they could just hear a word. Or Father, we just pray that they could just come to one of our prayer meetings. Now, mother was like, my mother was like, Father, I pray that, that my husband would be a servant and a leader for you. Just said those bold prayers and the look on her face when she used to pray, she prayed knowing that the God that she's praying to is a God that can do all things. I sometimes wonder when people say, why, why are there no miracles here? And I wonder, I'm reminded of when Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, not no other prophet, but Jesus in his own hometown who preached the word and says, right now the very words that you're hearing are being fulfilled. And he said, not a single miracle could be performed that day because everyone lacked in faith. And I wonder, here in Australia, are we not seeing miracles because of the lack of faith? Or we have that same mentality of prayer that I had that God could only work within this realm and no further. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. We're gonna begin reading at verse one. And the word of the Lord says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Balthazar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the river, the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his voice like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision but a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in deep sleep on my face. With my face to the ground, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, 
I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you the glory, we give you the praise. Lord, you know that there is no wisdom, no knowledge in me. I'm relying and depending only on your spirit. Speak through me, Father, and may you be uplifted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen. amen. I grew up in a family where my mother was the only religious person. My father was a person that was anti-religion. And not only was he anti-religion, he was the sort of person that used to make a mockery of religion. And he stayed so far away from Christianity because of things that he had heard about Christians and the way that he saw Christians behave. I've planted a church out in the uni in New England University, and most of the people that I've come in contact with that are atheists are not atheists because of the, because of the evidence, but they're atheists and they're staying just far away from Christianity because of how Christianity has been represented in the past. Most people, when they talk about Christianity, they want to talk to you about the Christianity that they see on TV or they want to talk about Christianity that they see back in the medieval period. They'll bring up the, the Inquisitions. They'll bring up the Crusades. And I've come to the realization that the most important thing that we can do as God's people is reflect God well. Reflect God well. I, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a culture where when they're watching the news and something terrible is happening on the news, the first thing they say, oh, I just pray they're not Samoan. And then if it is Samoan, oh, I just pray that they're not from our village. <laughs> and then if it is from their village, oh, I just pray it's not from our family. <laughs> we belong to the family of God. We're being called to reflect his love, not just through words, but through our actions as well. And so, my mother and my father struggled over this because mom wanted to talk to us about religion and about what God had done for us, but dad was like, no, I don't want, to, I don't want my kids to grow up like that. And my, fa my father would go about his business, but mom would pray three times a day. She'd pray three times a day. Every day she'd pray. And she'd get me and my younger brother and my younger sister and she'd pray over us and so the very first thing I remember from my mother is that she was a woman of prayer she'd pray and sometimes you could just see her wrestling in her prayers because she's with tears streaming down her face she's praying for the man who's drinking in the other room both my brother and I would grow up and follow in my father's footsteps and eventually leave home and we would also have problems as well with not only religion but we had issues with identity as well and we, we grew up in a family where if you're going to run away, you better stay away. Now, my father wasn't the prodigal son's father, you know, the, the father that ran out to meet the son halfway and then fall on him and kiss him. If my father was going to run out and meet us halfway, it was to kill us. <laughs> my dad was like, you know, if I ever see these boys again. But my mother tells the story, and I love the way she tells the story. She talks about my father because she prayed for him for years. And he was, in the, he was on his way to work just driving, and he had two items in the car. 
And just to let you know where my father was in his life, the two items in the car was a 20 kg bag of potatoes and a beer crate. And he could only carry one of those items to the nearby bus stop when his car broke down. He took the beer crate. And out there in central Auckland, he sat next to that bus stop and he sat on that, that beer crate with his arms folded waiting for his bus. And the sound of music was coming from a school hall directly behind that, that bus stop. And I could just see my father cringing, just like, that's Christian music. But he had no choice but to sit there and listen. You know, sometimes as you're singing praise and worship in your churches, you might not just be singing to people in your churches, you just could be singing to people outside your church. There's my father sitting there with his arms folded because as soon as, soon as the singing was done, the preacher got up and he started preaching an evangelistic series. And as he was preaching, my father also had no choice but to sit there and listen. 20 minutes into the sermon, his bus comes. Everybody lines up to get into the bus and dad just sat there. And the bus went. Dad sat there, the next bus came, that bus went. Dad was waiting for the sermon to land. Soon as the sermon landed, dad jumped on the last bus, went home. Took that beer crate, put the beers in the fridge, went to sleep. My mother was like, where's he been? But she wouldn't dare question him. Following day, dad goes to work and his boss hears about his car breaking down and the boss says, I heard your car broke down. I'll give you a ride. Dad said, no, I'm good. I'll catch the bus. <laughs> Goes back to that same bus stop, sits there, and he did that for three and a half weeks listening to an evangelistic campaign on the books of Daniel and Revelation. Three and a half weeks. And after three and a half weeks, when the preacher made an altar call, Dad walks not just from, he walks from outside into the hall and goes all the way to the front to him. He didn't care about nobody else in that place. He walked up right up to the front with his arms up, arms wide open and gives his life to God right then and there. He goes home, gets a ride home from one of the elders of the church. He already planned his baptism. And mom She's like, I wonder who he is. He's probably got a girlfriend. <laughs> Dad walks into the house again, goes straight to the fridge, takes out the beers that are in there and starts pouring them down the sink. Mom sees it. She doesn't say a single word. She just comes walking up, opens up the fridge and helps herself to a beer for the first time herself. Starts pouring them down the sink too. They both have this moment that they'll forever remember. Just pouring them down. And, and yeah, my, dad, my dad's from the old school, right? It's really hard to get them to say, I love you, sweetheart. I grew up my whole life waiting for dad just to say, I love you. Never said it to me. Turns to my mother and says, I love you. I'm going to get my boys. Dad made that decision. See, both my brother and I were going through a lot of struggles ourselves. But mom continued to pray. And mom had a list, you know, she used to have a list of people she prayed for. And as soon as prayers were answered, she'd take them off the list. She was like a prayer assassin. <laughs> she was like a prayer assassin. Had you, you, oh, your name is on her list. You're in danger of miracles happening. 
So mom was going all the way down, listen, here's my brother. Both my brother and I, we would stand in court. And when my brother and I would stand in court, we'll only have gang members there. And mom would turn up, and when mom turned up, she was by herself, but she was like an army of one. She would just sit there and pray. And I remember my brother was in a serious court case, and while he was sitting there, he sees my mother walk in. And not just my mother, my dad walks in after her and a church. They're all sitting there, and my brother says, man, you should have seen them walk in, man. I was like the army of Jehoshaphat. Like, you thought the gang members were staunch that day, man. You should have seen the way dad and these church members walked in. They're like walking in, singing hallelujah, because they're going to walk out in victory. So dad, dad's sitting there for the first time, and I was like so jealous of my brother because I've never seen my dad standing in any of my court cases. My dad turned up for my brother's one. So here's my brother. Eight of his friends already been sentenced. My brother's the last one seeing a certain Maria, the last person going down by alphabetical order. My brother stands up. And just when the magistrate was about to give her last call, my dad stands up unannounced. And he stands up at a time when he wasn't supposed to stand up. But dad just felt like, he's, he's, he said that he just felt like somebody was just pushing him and he stood up. And when he stood up right where he was standing and spoke in my language, I translated for you, he said, my son's failure is not his alone. I'm not asking you to give a son a second chance. I'm asking you to give a father a second chance. The magistrate didn't know what to do with that. Said, we're going to have to wait for another week. Says, they were taking my brother cuffed back to Mount Eden prison. My mother stands up and she says to my brother, son, pray at 10 o'clock in the morning and pray at 10 o'clock at night, knowing that your father and I and the church will be praying for you 10 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. My brother was telling me that as he was there taking him, he was like. <laughs> He's like still thinking, that, that's my dad that just stood for me. That's my father who just stood for me. So I just wish I was a fly that day when my brother said his first prayer in that prison cell. And he prayed 10 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night he prayed. One week later, he was released with bail conditions. And he said, Lord, because you've done this to me and because you've done this for me, I'm gonna serve you the rest of my life. My brother packs up everything that he has and leaves New Zealand, goes to Australia. While I was going through my struggles, I needed to leave New Zealand. And I remember ringing up my mother and I said, mom, where's my bro? She said, he's in Australia, here's his number. So when I called up my brother, I said, dude, where are you, man? I don't care where you are, I'm coming. If you're in Newcastle, I don't care. If you're in Sydney, Perth, tell me, I'm coming. He goes, I'm in Kurumbong. <laughs> Kurun what? <laughs> Sis Kurumbong, you're a big boy, you'll find it. He didn't even believe me that I was gonna leave New Zealand. But man, when I jumped on that plane and I saw that last piece of New Zealand leaving my window, that last piece of Aotearoa leaving my window, I saluted New Zealand and said, see you later, never coming back. <laughs> never coming back. And even when I did go into ministry, I went into ministry, and whenever I got a, uh, a request to come and speak in New Zealand, I said, no, no, not there. <laughs> Anywhere but there. God's amazing. In Daniel chapter 10, we find a story. Daniel is praying. We're told that it's the third year of Cyrus. It's the third year of Cyrus. Cyrus has just proclaimed that his son Cambyses II 
is the, is the co-regent of this great empire that has just begun. And as Daniel is waiting for the temple of Jerusalem to be built, we understand that the temple of Jerusalem had halted and they were being attacked. We're told in Ezra chapter four, verse five and 24, that they were being attacked and the word of God had been delayed. And so Daniel chapter 10 opens up with Daniel mourning for three weeks. And in Bible times, people mourned over sin. They mourned over calamity. They mourned over death. But here we find Daniel mourning over the delay and the eventual halt of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And we're also told that Nehemiah himself, when he hears about the delay, that he fasted, prayed, and mourned. And here's Daniel fasting and praying because Israel is not unified and there is something that's coming up against them. And we're told in history that Cambyses II, who was a Zoroastrian, was not too pleased about his father Cyrus's plans to release the Jews, to rebuild. We're also told in Isaiah 44 that, that Cyrus, interestingly enough, is also mentioned as a type of Messiah. Daniel hears about the delay and he gets down on his knees and he's praying. And for three weeks, he gives up the comfort of a good bed, good food, good music. He even stops using ointment because he's like in fasting mode. He's in prayer mode. And in Daniel chapter two, he says he's mourning for three whole weeks. And finally, someone stands in front of him and the description of the person is described as somebody who speaks with a voice of multitude. Talking about the same person that we see in Revelation chapter one and two, the same being as being, the same person as being described. This is Jesus Christ and most scholars are unified when they talk about this being who stands in front of Daniel as he's praying and fasting. And then a hand touches his shoulder. And when the hand touches the shoulder, the Bible tells us, oh, Daniel, and it could only be the angel Gabriel who always comes whenever Daniel prayed. Whenever Daniel prayed, Gabriel is the one to come. And here, Gabriel is back again and he touches Daniel on the, sh on the shoulder and it says, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, while he speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And listen, verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were what? Heard. From when? the first day. So the moment that Daniel prayed, God heard. And like every other time when God, when, when Daniel called upon God, God would answer immediately. Well, Gabriel will turn up immediately and help Daniel in his, in his time of trial. But something happened here. Gabriel says, I've got to straighten something out, Daniel. I've got, to, I've got to let you know about something. Yeah, God heard you on the first day you prayed. 
Now watch this. Verse 13, he says, but, but 21 days. So God heard from the first day that he prayed that prayer, but then now, you know, Gabriel's going to back himself up and say, hey, but the reason I'm turning up late, the reason that I'm not here on time is because the king of Persia held me back. Now, that can't be a human being because no human being can hold back an angel of God. So this Sabraz, this prince of Persia, this prince of Persia, one scholar says he's the guardian angel of the kingdom of Persia. Others say he's Satan himself. Whoever he is, he just held back not just any angel, he held back Gabriel. Now, Gabriel's had no problems coming before. Now he's got problems. Here's how he was rescued. The Bible says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael. What name did I say? Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand. It wasn't until Michael came, the same Michael that is being described here in Daniel chapter 10, who with the gold, the, the, the white linen and the gold youth has the voice like multitude, the eyes like fire, taking us right back to the same person that John saw. This is Michael in chapter 12, verse one, who stands up for his people. And here when he sees the work of God being delayed, it's Michael that comes. And Gabriel makes no apology when he says that it wasn't until Michael came. And when Michael came, he was freed. Let me tell you something. When Michael stands up, we're free. When Michael stands up, when Michael comes forward, no enemy can hold him back. This is the same Michael in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, who fought against the devil and his angels and won. Let me tell you something else. There's only one person that can defeat the army of the enemy and the devil himself. It's Michael. And here, even an angel needed help. Even an angel needed the help and called upon Michael. And when Michael came, I'm able to come to you now. And he said, I was held for 21 days. 21 days, that's three weeks. So the whole three weeks that Daniel's fasting and praying, says, something's going on. Something's not right. Well, you're, you're right, something's not right. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And the first time in biblical history, God picks up the, he, 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 he opens the curtains into the spiritual world so we can see what's going on. Alan White says, if we see what was going on in the spiritual world, we'd never stop praying. We would be praying ceaselessly. We would be praying every day more often than we breathe. It was Job who said, I have, I have treasured your words more necessary than my food. I remember my mother used to always say to me, an animal would feed its offspring food for life, but a mother would feed her offspring's words for life. He's held back. Spiritual warfare takes place. 
And I'm reminded in Psalm 34, verse six and seven, it says, this poor man called and the Lord heard. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. He delivers them. The angels have a part to play. The angels have a part to play in the spiritual warfare. What Arthur Chaos says, he says, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. All heaven is on the side of the one who humbles himself and seeks to understand God's plans and purposes. One commentator says, most, most of us think of prayer as a retreat. We think of prayer as a retreat from the action, not as an offensive weapon with which we attack the enemy. After all, when we want to pray, we usually seek out a quiet spot. We also hear and use the expression, uh, let me pray about it. And we usually say that when we don't know what to do or say. In reaction against this, we must cultivate a mindset that sees prayer as a powerful tool by which we foil Satan's schemes and destroy his handiwork. We are to see prayer as our principal means of communication with our divine commander. I come to the realization that I need to look at prayer now as like a tool and a weapon, not so we can retreat from something, but so that we can toe the line. We toe the line with prayer. My mother prayed for my father. My father was baptized into the church. Prayed for my sister and her husband, both of them baptized into the church. She prayed for my, she's going down the list, that prayer assassin's list. Prayed for my brother. My brother gets baptized into the church. She's coming after me. She's coming after me. I kind of reminds me of C.S. Lewis in his diary when he said, I began this journey seeking after this God of the Hebrews only to discover that this God of the Hebrews is seeking after me. Mom prayed for me, prayed for me. When my dad came and me and him were reconciled in 2000 and 2006, when he was about to leave Australia, he said to me, son, if you could do anything for me, take your children, your family, take them to church. Do you know what I said? Yeah, I will. But I wasn't gonna be fooled anymore. For me, I'm gonna make a decision for me. And I'm gonna research this thing myself. So I went to a nearby library, started looking up books about church history, started reading ferociously through, you know, world history. Read the Will Durant's story of civilization and the story of philosophy. Started reading, you know, on the Roman Empire from Edward Gibbons. And then from then on, we started picking up books about the church. And then from then started reading about the Sabbath. I read Uriah Smith's book from Daniel, you know, his commentary on Daniel. And I started reading all these books ferociously because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing that I wasn't taking my family into something and conning them into something. And I still remember picking up the Bible for the first time. It was a good news Bible. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna read from Genesis and I'm not gonna move to another verse until I understand the verse that I just read. And I began in Genesis, started crawling in Exodus and died in Leviticus. I prayed and I prayed. I remember one night, woke up my wife, 2007, the year was October, uh, the month was October. I said to her, babe, you need to read this. 
I says, what is it? It's like three o'clock in the morning. I said, you, you gotta read this. And I was taking her through this quick study within 15 minutes and I said, did you see that? Everything that we, that, that, that we heard about the Sabbath, everything that we heard about what Jesus Christ did for us, the historical Jesus, he existed. Look at what the Bible says. Look at what prophecy is saying. I said, babe, I'm getting baptized. In 2007, November, both my wife and I were baptized. 2008, we were both in college. 2010, I get this phone call from mum, and I never told a single person that I was going into ministry, especially my mother, because I failed my mother so many times. And I wanted to do this. If I fail, nobody needs to know. But if I succeed, it's the greatest gift I could give to my mother, and she didn't raise no fool. Mum hears that somebody with our surname is preaching in Sydney. And she hears it from a friend. So mom's like, her friend's like, yeah, I'm just wondering, is he your son? And she's thinking, two sons? No, it's definitely not Rome. It's the other one. Gets another phone call and says, no, no, it's, 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 it's Rome. That's the name I saw. She's like, God, oh, must, they must have got it wrong. She rings up my brother and my brother says, not me. So my mother picks up the phone and rings my wife and I. I said, yep. Mom says, what do you do? I didn't want to tell her. My wife was like, just tell her. I said, mom, I'm in ministry and I'm going, I'm going to become a pastor. Just quiet on the phone. Thank you, Jesus. That's what she said. Thank you, Jesus. After 30 years of prayer, 30 years of prayer, 30 years of spiritual warfare, she never gave up on God. Daniel never gave up on God. God came through every single time he prayed. And when there was a delay, he got on his knees and prayed some more, fasted. He started praying and mourning. I wonder, us who are sitting here today, do we pray and mourn harder when we do not get an answer to prayer? Do we give up and simply walk away? How many Daniels are here today who are willing to stand and still pray that God's will will be done? Now, before I finish today, I know that many of us may be going through some spiritual warfare in your own life. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 to 17 tells us that the church, the church needs to arm themselves because the church in the last days is a military church. It's a military church ready to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So we're gonna go into some prayer right now. Now, if there's anything that's in your heart that you arrest, there's a, there's a battle going on in your life or there's a battle going on in your community, there's a battle going on in your church, we're gonna pray about it here right now. I know for myself, there's a battle going on in my own family. My own extended family, there's battles going on. In my community, there's a warfare going on. In my church as well. And I'm praying for them. What battles are you going through? If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, 
you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3abnaustralia Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia Thank you for your prayers and financial support. That piece of music was brought to us by Casting Crowns, Prayer for a Friend. Coming up next, we have 3ABN's own Rosemary Melkovich with Somebody's Praying. Somebody's praying, I can 
Hope you enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. After leaving the monastery, Luther was called to the University of Wittenberg to teach. While here in Wittenberg, he applied himself to the study of the scriptures in their original tongues and began to lecture on the Bible, in particular the Psalms, the Epistles and the Gospels. His friend Staupitz urged him to ascend the pulpit and preach. This was something he was hesitant to do, feeling unworthy of the task. But following a long struggle and with encouragement from his friends, he finally agreed. Luther was an eloquent speaker, captivating his hearers with the clarity and power with which he spoke. Before long, his fame as a speaker was growing, both amongst the university students and the general public. Every great revival in history has been founded on great preaching, and the German Reformation was to be no different. A dispute arose between seven of the local convents and their vicar general, and it wasn't long before the future reformer was sent on his way to Rome to settle the quarrel. On his way there, he noticed some things. Staying at the monasteries, he noted the wealth, magnificence, and sheer luxury that was there. He contrasted this with the life of self-denial that he himself had grown accustomed to living. The Pope at that time was Pope Julius II, and Luther thought that Rome was, as it were, the very gate of heaven itself. Indeed, as he approached Rome, he lay prostrate on the ground and said, Holy Rome, I salute thee.
As he entered the city and visited the churches and saw the priests and monks, he was filled with both shock and horror. He saw amongst the clergy unashamed and open sin. He heard the indecent jokes, swearing, and he struggled to find some peace and solace. No one can imagine, he said, what type of sins are committed in Rome. They have to be seen or heard to be believed. They are in the habit of saying, if there is a hell, then Rome is built over it. It is an abyss whence issues every kind of sin. By a recent decree, an indulgence was promised to all those who would ascend Pilate's staircase on their knees. It was believed that the staircase in Rome was mysteriously transported there during the night and was the very staircase that Jesus ascended on the night when he was condemned. One day, Luther was devoutly climbing these steps when a voice came to him like thunder, the just shall live by faith, Romans 1, 16. He got up from his knees, walked away, never to be the same again. Upon returning from Rome, Luther preached his famous sermon entitled, The Just Shall Live by Faith, here in the St. Mary's Town Church. This was a question that lay heavy on Luther's mind and one which he wrestled with over and over again. Indeed, the German Reformation hinged on the question, how can a man be just in the sight of God? It's a question that many people still wrestle with today. At this point in his life, Luther had no plans to start his own church or movement and still saw himself as a loyal son of the church. But in making the commitment to put the Bible above the words of the councils or popes, he set himself on a course that would ultimately lead far away from Rome. In Luther's life, he followed the Holy Spirit's leading when he made the decision to preach. He followed the Holy Spirit's leading when he got off his knees in Rome. He followed the Holy Spirit's leading in his ministry here and was true to his convictions. May we be true to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. May we be strong in our convictions and true to God's word as well. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. It's time for Balanced Living with Vicki Griffin. Up in smoke. If you smoke and want to kick the habit, you're not alone. Two out of 10 adults aged 25 to 44 years old in the United States smoke. Over 40 million men and women smoke in the United States, and worldwide, figures top one and a half billion. That figure does not include marijuana, which is rapidly trending up in the United States. Most smokers began using tobacco before the age of 18. Tobacco addiction is the leading preventable cause of death in the United States, killing almost 500,000 people a year which is equal to four 747 airplane crashes every day. Smoking is a major cause of cancer, heart disease, stroke, and lung diseases. 70% of smokers interviewed say they would like to kick the habit. And if you are one of them, we have good news. 
You can do it. Why do so many people smoke? Tobacco elevates stress hormones and dopamine, which work together to increase energy and produce a quick lift. Nicotine is highly addictive and it quickly changes the brain by altering the neurotransmitter function, especially dopamine. Dopamine is linked with feelings of joy and happiness as well as learning and motivation. When nicotine is stopped, it leaves the system within 30 hours of the last dose. But dopamine circuitry is altered due to the addiction. So normal activities just don't kindle the same pleasant feelings. Since brain chemistry takes time to return to normal, relapse can occur. An aggressive recovery lifestyle stimulates dopamine and promotes healing while reducing the risk of relapse. Thousands of people quit smoking every day. The following seven R's for a recovery lifestyle can help you kick the habit for good. Real food. Plant foods lower stress, cut cravings for sugar and stimulants like tobacco and caffeine, and improve mental function and mood. Enjoy plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, and seeds. Avoid junk food, saturated animal fat, caffeine, and large amounts of refined sugar. When you eat better, you are going to feel better, and you'll have the energy to make better choices. Regular exercise. Exercise increases dopamine and other neurotransmitters associated with motivation, reward, learning, and behavior. Exercise also reduces withdrawal symptoms and the desire to smoke. Exercise lowers stress, depression, and anxiety. It improves mood, well-being, and mental processing, and it increases learning power. Rest. Regular sleep restores the brain. It helps control stress hormones and blood sugar and reduces irritability, fatigue, and stress, all triggers for smoking. Taking time for mental and physical rest is a major weapon against relapse. Refreshing sleep and periods of relaxation increase energy. Deep breathing exercises calm the body and mind in the middle of a stressful day. Your brain solidifies the new habits and routines during sleep, especially deep sleep. Regularity. Establish regular hours for meals, exercise, and rest for healing and energizing your brain and body. Start your day with a refreshing glass of water. Eat fresh fruits, some nuts, and whole grains for breakfast. Take a brisk 10-minute walk after each meal to help curb tobacco cravings. Rearrange your physical environment to reflect your new choices. Throw away the smoking jacket and keep your gym bag in plain view. Drink water between meals instead of caffeine and enjoy a lunch that is rich in dietary fiber, such as leafy green salads, fresh vegetables, and beans. Keep supper light. Relationships. We are wired for relationships. We all need relationships because we're made in the image of a loving God who calls us to a healing relationship with Him and with each other. Addictions create a false relationship with the addiction. They create isolation and despair. Building healthy relationships helps ease depression that is linked to addiction and it creates opportunities for giving and receiving. It provides support 
and accountability. Responsibility. Owning your decisions makes learning new habits possible. Practicing new attitudes and actions takes time and perseverance, but it yields great benefits. God will give you the power to change. If, therefore, the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 36. He's reaching out to you by His Spirit and through His Word and through others who love and care for you. Practice new thinking, new choices, and new habits. This involves a daily decision. Religion. Spiritual health is at the center of a healthy lifestyle. God will change your desires and give you power and wisdom for life's challenging journey. Through Bible study, prayer, and practicing the principles of life taught by the Bible, peace, forgiveness, endurance, and victory are possible. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. Practice on purpose. You may feel that you have lost the power to choose what you know is right. Many people have overcome addictions, mastered new skills, and learned to enjoy new activities, hobbies, foods, and friends. And you can too by practicing the seven R's. Remember, God is there for you to give you a new heart, new motives, and a new desire. He is the only one who can put a hatred in your heart for smoking. But like practicing any new instrument, some sour notes may emerge as you learn your new song for living. Successful people are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up. The more times a positive thought or action is repeated, the more it is cemented in the brain. God made you that way. You will need determination, but your body and brain will respond to healthful lifestyle changes. And to God, thanks. Thanks to him who is giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. That is how millions have quit tobacco forever. You can be one of them. You've been listening to Balanced Living presented by Vicki Griffin. You know something that intrigues me? The way some critics of the Bible often have an ability to totally miss the point. A science teacher recently spoke out against biblical creation, certainly not the first science teacher to do so, and he talked about one of his great arguments against the veracity of the Bible. Here it is, Genesis 1.16 from the creation story. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. This science teacher countered the Bible by saying, everybody knows that the moon only reflects light, the light of the sun. So therefore the Bible must be wrong when it says God made the moon as a great light to rule the night. Now this is an intelligent man. I think most everybody does know that the moon only reflects the light of the sun, but that doesn't change the fact it is the light shining from the moon, light that originally comes from the sun, yes, that lights up the night sky. There are times that God gives us information and expects us to use our common sense. If God had to use explanatory statements all the way through the Bible, the Bible would be two feet thick. If a person wants to criticize the Bible, that's their right. And the truth is there are some tough questions in the Bible to answer. But let me encourage you to read the Bible with your common sense engaged. Don't quibble over the obvious. 
One story says two demoniacs had demons cast out of them. Another says one. The point is that two, one, or 21, there's power in Jesus to set the demoniacs free. Read the Bible as it reads. You might not always be able to understand the mind of God, but that doesn't have to weaken your confidence in God's Word. You can believe it. It was inspired by God. And no matter what the critics say, no matter how many attacks they make on the Word of God, no matter how clever or not clever their arguments, you won't be able to change that. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.